So the title of today's message is, Does This Concern You? Spiritual Warfare. If you have your Bible, if you could turn to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to go through 10 through, uh, verses 10 through 20. If you don't have it, that's all right, we have all the Bible verses out here because I'm a PowerPoint geek. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we go through this study, Lord God, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds, Lord. Let us be closer to you today, Lord God. Let us know why we put on the full armor of God and let us uh, resist the schemes of the devil. Father, I pray for each person here tonight, Lord God, that you speak through their hearts. And I pray these things in your precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, before I get started, uh, so this is a, a near and dear thing to me, warfare. Uh, so if the few people that know me, um, they, they've probably heard that I'm a Marine Corps veteran. So I spent about four and a half years in the Marine Corps, in the infantry. So I was uh, a machine gunner. You know the guys on top of the Humvees with the machine guns? That was my job. Uh, fun, right? No, no, not at all. <laughs> um, and I spent about 14 months in Iraq. I was in uh, Camp Ramadi, uh, Ramadi. So a lot of the things that are happened here it related to me and it spoke to me, and it's very rare when I actually speak about myself when it, you know, or use my own examples when I actually speak about the Bible. But this is something that's actually really relevant because this is something that we deal with on a constant basis. I just happen to see it real life. You guys are seeing it spiritual life. So, as we turn to the passage, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts and wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication, the Spirit being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. See, Paul, who wrote the book of uh, Ephesians, this is now he, he concluded his discussion. This is the end of the book of Ephesians regarding the proper function of, uh, within household relationships. Now, Paul shifts his focus to what's external now. First, it was an internal thing. Now, it's an external thing in the previous verses. Now, his previous exhortations focused on within the church and how you should function together. And as a, we, sh we should seek to maintain spiritual growth. 
Now, this passage focuses on the external because it's talking about spiritual warfare. It's talking about the relationship between you and God and how you need to put on the full armor of God because there is an attack on you. And this is a real-life attack. Now, Paul calls them to be strong and equipped in the battle opposing the, uh, the gospel. That's 10 through 17. And he uses military imagery to help convey the nature of this conflict. Because there is conflict. Because Satan is like a lion prowling around looking to whom he may devour. Devour does not mean to hurt you. It means to kill you. And that's the reality of it. Certain things I've learned in the military, in combat, there's conflict. Conflict are two opposing sides going against each other. And then you have combatants. Combatants are people that want to essentially kill you. You have casualties. Let's spend a little time on casualties for a moment. Casualties are people, for example, the unborn children. There's about two to 3,000 children that are aborted every single day in the United States, about 125,000, according to the World Health Organization, every single day. About 60,000 people are in human trafficking in the United States. About 52% are children used for sex trafficking. During this last year in 2020, suicide rate has jumped Anxiety has jumped. Depression has jumped. As a veteran, I understand these things because of things like PTSD and things like that. 22 veterans commit suicide every single day. You are being attacked. And this is the reality of things. In 2020, over 2,000 Christians in Nigeria were slaughtered. And this doesn't resonate because we live in the United States, doesn't it? It doesn't make sense to us. But you are being attacked in various ways. For example, anxiety, depression, things like that. The devil wants to hurt you. He wants to hurt your family. He wants to kill you and your family. The devil knows that he's going to Lake of Fire because he knows the Bible better than 99% of people. He's been around for a really long time. He's a real smart guy. But he knows he's going down, and he's going to take as many people down with him. And the last thing we have is chaos. If you notice, this past year has been pretty chaotic, haven't it? You're like, what's happening? 2020 came, and then boom, now we're in 2021, slowly getting back to normalcy, still not quite normal. The chaos in our lives is created by someone, and it's not God. God gives us peace. So the first point I want to go through is the believer's power. The believer's power. As we go back to verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The word finally indicates the the beginning of the final section, but it also means from now on. Now, Paul is saying the battle that is starting now and will be ongoing until the Lord returns. The whole letter 
with its emphasis on the battle against the principalities and the powers that is at the heart of the church and at its work in the world has been leading to this closely admonition. Now, the key to victory in this cosmic battle is spiritual strength. And the reason for many problems in the church is the tendency, I want you to listen to this. The reason for many of the problems in the church is the tendency of the finite, fallible beings who make up the church attempt to engage the enemy in their own inadequate strength. That's you and me. We're finite and we're inadequate. We have inadequate strength. And notice where it says, be strong in the Lord. It refers to the strength that derived from God, not strength we humans have somehow obtained. Be strong describes a continual empowering of the Christian community. God's strength and his mighty power are part of the kingdom blessing available to God's people. We go back to Ephesians chapter 1, 19, verses 20, uh, 19 and 20. It says, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Now, at the beginning of Paul's letter, he prayed for believers to know God's exceedingly greatness of his power toward who us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated at his right hand in heavenly places. Now that power has raised Christ from the dead and powers God's people. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. That is God dwelling within you. The creator of the universe who creates and sustains all things is in you. And we absolutely need it. Because we go through and prepare for a spiritual battle. And the text continues, the struggle occurs in the spiritual realm and must be won in, with spiritual weapons. Because if you look at it, if we don't have adequate weapons, how can we fight? How can we fight? We can't. Now, we have this certain victory that God is victorious because he went to the cross and he rose again on the third day. But we still have to deal with this battle. Now, Paul's words are all in the plural, and it's addressed to the entire church who, like a warrior, needs to put on the complete armor of God, of course, this combined effort calls for each member's fullest participation, not partial participation, fullest participation. And the reason why this is important and why, because he's trying to kill you, right? When I was in Iraq, right, I used to have to put on this whole gear thing, right? I had to have a flak jacket. I had to have my helmet, my Kevlar helmet. I got to put my boots on. I have to get my weapon. I have to do all this stuff. And I, I lived on this thing called a FOB, a firm operating base. So you had a main base, right, which was called uh, Camp Ramadi. And then the FOB, the firm operating base, was called JSS Eagle Base. So it was like this little enclosure that we lived 
way away from the base, the main base. Kind of like where I live now, I live about 50 minutes north. <laughs> so on this firm operating base, every time we went outside the wall, which is called outside the wire, right, we had to put our gear on. Look at your homes like a fob. Look at the main base like the church, because you have a whole bunch of believers here, right? Every time you step outside the wire, you have to put your gear on. And how many people don't put the gear on? And we're going to go through the gear a little bit later, but I want you to have that imagery that we need to put our gear on. Number two, the believer's enemy. In verse 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. God empowers his people, and he does not send them into battle unarmed. God's people must be put, must put on the whole armor. Now, he's always talking about the full armor, complete equipment, head of protection. And now this gear was not meant for show. It's not meant for show. Why would you put on armor? Because you're going to go into battle. You're going to go fight, right? I used to be an uh, MMA fighter, and when we used to practice, we used to have to put on headgear, right? Because what happens? You get hit in the head, you don't want to get knocked out, right? But this was used for hand-to-hand combat for someone to kill. And that's the imagery that you need, is that this is a real-life thing. In Isaiah 59, verse 17, it says, For... He put on the righteousness of the, as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance of clothing and his, was clad with zeal as a cloak. The armor of God was mentioned in the Old Testament here in Isaiah 59 verse 17. It describes God wearing the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. If you look at Isaiah 53, you see the divine warrior. The arm of God is talking about a divine warrior. So you see God, we're supposed to be imitators of God, and he went to war. Now Paul wrote this letter while he was chained to a Roman soldier. Now the soldier's armor was probably what brought this whole concept about. Now in verse 12 in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principality, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of Wickedness in the heavenly places. I mentioned all those battles that we were talking about. Abortion, right, suicide, anxiety, all those things. Those are battles. Those aren't the war. Those aren't the real, the, the big war. Our focus. Our focus needs to be on winning souls for Christ and making disciples of all nations. That is the primary purpose. Everything has to be secondary. The reason why is because you cannot fight on too many fronts. You ever tried doing too many things at once? What happens? Nothing gets done. Now, if you're fighting multiple fights on different fronts, you're always going to lose. Now, Paul's writing this, and he knows that the Ephesians, they had practiced magic and witchcraft. You see that in Acts chapter 19, verse 19. 
So they were well aware of the power of the darkness. Now those powers are cosmic and spiritual and they fight the battle in that realm. Now we face a powerful army whose goal is to defeat the, uh, the Christian church. Now we, when we believe in Christ, the satanic beings become our enemies. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know when it says count the cost for discipleship? That's part of counting the cost because you went from one end to the other end. And Satan even hates his followers. You know why? Because where do they end up? You guys can say it. Where do they end up? Hell. Right? So Satan even hates his own followers. How much does he hate you guys? This is called spiritual warfare, by the way. No. <laughs> That's just some guy screaming randomly. <laughs> I know you guys were waiting for me to address it, right? These guys. Now, they try every device to turn us away from, uh, from God and turn us back to sin. Now, believers are assured of victory, and we must engage in the struggle until Christ returns because Satan constantly battles against all who are on God's side. Now, the devil and his dark power rule the world, but they do not rule the universe. Now, the, the stolen kingdom will be regained by Christ, who is the rightful ruler as when he appears. See, in the meantime, we have to deal with the supernatural battle. And the power of and the supernatural power is always going against Satan, which goes against that we're not focused on the people. They're not our enemies. They're not. People that will yell at you because you're a Christian or persecute you, guess what? They're not your enemy. The people that are for these abortion clinics, they're not your enemy. It's the principalities of the air the rulers of the darkness of this age. They're your enemy. So now we have the believer's armor. Verses 13 through 17 says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to withstand, stand therefore having girded your ways with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. As long as they were on a flat land, and these are the Roman soldiers, they were on a flat land, they were indestructible together because they never broke ranks. They were always tight, as believers should be tight and never break ranks. Their legions were actually considered virtually indestructible. Now, the order of the pieces is listed in verses uh, in order how the soldier actually put it on. First, you have the belt of truth. Paul wrote, having girded your waist with truth, this belt, also called a girdle was a thick strap 
It was probably made of leather. It, had, uh, it held together the clothing underneath and holding all the other pieces of armor in place, and, uh, such as the breastplate and the sheath for the sword. And the belt was fastened, the shoulder uh, was on duty. So this related to me also because when I was in the Marine Corps, we used to have to put on a duty belt. And when we put on our duty belt, that means we're on duty and we were protecting the people that were asleep, let's say. So like, let's say if I was on duty in my barracks, I was there on duty and could not go to sleep. As a Christian, guess what? Every time you walk out, you're always on duty. Now, this belt of truth also was used as a support for the core. If you notice anything about, uh, know anything about exercise or anything, your core is everything. The top strength trainer in the world says, if you want to build strength, there's two things you need to do. Build grip strength and core strength. The top guy in the world says, do those two things, and you'll build that. It's, all, it's about building your core. And this held your core, and it's the belt of truth, which is the core of everything, the foundation of what we believe. And it was slacked when it was taken off. That means you're off duty. How many times have you walked out of your house not on duty? It's the foundation for the Christian life. Satan fights with lies, and sometimes his lies sound like truth, but only believers have God's truth which can defeat Satan's lies. In the book, Kingdom of the Cults, Walt Martin wrote in the first chapter, he gives you an illustration about his friend that worked at a bank. They went down to the Federal Reserve and they're counting all this money. And they're fresh $100 bills. And then what they would do is they would slip a fake one in there. So the minute they feel it, they're like, oh, this is fake. You need to understand God's truth first. This is the foundation of all things. You understand that, then you can deal with the wiles of the devil. So now we have the breastplate, uh, breastplate of righteousness. Now next, the soldier would actually put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was a large leather or bronze uh, chainmail piece that protected the body from uh, neck to thigh and is to protect the vital organs. The breastplate was a vital piece of the soldier's armor. Now, no soldier would ever go into battle without their breastplate and also protect the front and the back. Imagine you were in my shoes and going to Iraq, right? And you're in there, you're about to go outside, remember the wire, right? And you decide not to put your vest on. What would you say to yourself if you were watching yourself? Like, man, that was dumb. Stupid would be one, probably one of the words. Other words we can't say here? No. <laughs> but you would absolutely protect yourself. If you see police, what do they do? They go out and they put their vests on to protect themselves, right? You're going out to battle, and you're not even putting on your breastplate to protect your vital organs. What's in here? You have your stomach, you have your intestines, you have your heart, you have your liver, you have your pancreas, you have kidneys, things that are vital, Now, righteousness, it provides a significant defense. It gives the evidence that we have been made right with God and that this righteousness has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. Now, the believers 
then want to live up to the uprightness and integrity and desiring to please the one who saved them. I want to repeat that. Believers then want to live in uprightness and integrity and desiring to please the one who saved them. We are to live a specific lifestyle. It says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is him who we please, not people. Now, I understand this is not an easy task. It's not easy. I get it. We all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life of Christ Jesus our Lord. We all know those very popular verses. Even though this is not easy, doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Everything worth doing is hard in life. The devil's ready for battle at every turn, willing to sucker punch you from behind if given the chance. Righteousness is the opposite of Satan's complete wickedness. Satan seeks to thwart righteous living. He wants you to stumble because he wants to destroy you. Now, Satan often attacks our heart, the seed of our emotions, our self-worth and trust. Now, God's righteousness is the breastplate that protects our heart and assures his approval. He approves of us because he loves us and has sent his son to die for us. Now, the gospel piece, these are the shoes. Paul alludes here to Isaiah 52, verse 7, when the Roman military footwear was incredible. What it does is it gave you a ton of um, traction. So they actually had spikes underneath, and it gave them a lot of um, stability to go on long marches, but they couldn't be pushed back. So they were always nice and tight. Now, how many of you walked out of your house today without shoes, literally? Not one. How many of you have walked out without your spiritual shoes on? Don't raise your hand. I would never go into battle without my boots on. Imagine me walking outside the wire, no boots. You know how many rocks are in Iraq? I have sensitive feet. <laughs> it would hurt, right? It wouldn't make any sense. Now, this whole strap that was on the, uh, the Roman footwear actually go, went all the way up to their knee. It was, it was a leather strap all the way up to their knee. So it gave them a firm foundation. Now, the spiritual footwear is the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace it is the object of action. Action to go forth. That we are ready to proclaim the good news. Paul calls this an offensive weapon because of the divine messenger proclaims peace. Now here's the shield of faith. Now, Paul has in mind this big shield. Enemies uh, used to dip their arrows and pitch and set it on fire. And the shield was uh, both blunt and they used to dip it in water so it would quench the fire. Now, this whole thing about fiery darts, 
or fiery arrows, do you understand this is an area effect weapon? An area effect weapon hits something and destroys something else. So for example, if a fiery arrow were to come in here and land somewhere here, it would start burning other things. So it could hit multiple people or hurt multiple people, can't it? So let's say the fiery arrow missed you, but maybe it hit your family. Or hit someone you love. Because you were more concerned about getting out of the way and not using your shield of faith. Because it's there to burn. It will burn in Maine. Now the enemy, the ruler of this world, is, sends out his flaming arrows of temptation, doubt and wrath, lust, despair, vengeance, problems, and trials in our lives. We can hold up our shields and quench them. And when you go through trials and tribulations, this is glory and tribulation, because tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint, Romans 5, 3 through 5. And the word for character in the Greek means proof, proven character. So you have to go through these things. You're going to go through a spiritual battle. Here's what 1 John 5, 4 says. For we would... For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now, we can be sure what we see here is Satan's attacks in the form of insults, setbacks, and temptations, but the shield of faith protects us from Satan's flaming arrows with God's protective uh, perspective. We can see beyond the circumstances and know the ultimate victory is ours. So you can see past our circumstances. If you were getting shot at right now, would you be worrying about the problems that you have, right? like your typical daily problems, like you know, your problem at work? If you're married, your problem with your spouse? Or if you're in school, your problem with your grades? Would you be worried about any of that stuff? You'd be worried about getting out of there, saving your life, right? Saving a loved one's life. Or if there was a fire, what would you, how would you think? The little things don't matter anymore, do they? And that was real for me. I couldn't worry about little things. And you can't worry about the little things and let them stress you out and let you tempt you and the things you want. Because that's what he wants to do. He wants to destroy you. Beyond our circumstances, we know that the ultimate victory is ours because we are God's children. Now, we have the helmet of salvation. What does the helmet protect? Your head. What's in your head? Your brain. I know, it's got real deep here, huh? If I went outside the wire without my helmet on, I'll tell you the beating I would get for being so stupid. I'm telling you, my platoon sergeant would beat me. He's like, you're stupid. I'd rather take a beating and get shot. That's how I look at it. So when a Christian tells you something and corrects you or rebukes you, a brother or sister in the Lord, say thank you. Because they care about you. 
Because if he would have beat me up physically, we're not, no one's going to beat you up phys- physically. But if he beat me up physically to prevent me, from, uh, prevent me from dying, thank you. Thank you. Now, this helmet was uh, meant to protect your head, and sometimes made of bronze or leather. Protect your head. Right. Back to Isaiah 59, verse 17, he has put on the righteousness as a breastplate, the helmet of salvation on his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Now, if we focus on the helmet of salvation, God's described here as uh, wearing a helmet of salvation. The dressed soldier would take the helmet and the sword from the armor bearer in the same way believers are to take the helmet of salvation. Now it's handed to them by God himself. Satan wants to make us doubt God, Jesus, and our salvation. The helmet protects our mind from doubting God's saving work for us. Now, the sword of the Spirit. Finally, a soldier grabs his final weapon, a sword, the sword of the Spirit, and refers to this, uh, this refers to a short sword, which is meant for close combat. It's actually a double-edged sword, not like your kitchen knives, which is a single-edged sword. And it can actually cut in any direction. So if you thrust in a way, so if you thrust forward, you can just cut in any different direction. Now the word of God is the spirit's sword. The spirit makes the word of God effective as we speak it and receive it. The spirit gives the word its penetrating power and sharp edge. As you see it here in Hebrews 4.12, it says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jesus uses God's word, the Holy Spirit within believers have constant reminder that God's word to use against Satan's temptations. Now the sword is the only weapon that we don't put on but we hold. We need to be offensive against Satan when we are tempted. And the way you are offensive, you read this, these 66 books, and you get in prayer, and you go to a brother or sister in the Lord, and you're offensive. The only way you win a battle is by being offensive. You know, when they say in sports, defense is the best offense, no, the person that scores the most points, they're the ones that win. They're offensive. And I never understood that. <laughs> when we were tempted, we need to live in the spirit of God's word. Now we have the believer's resource, number four. Prayer. In verse 18, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with the perseverance and supplication of all the saints. Pray in the Spirit to seek the empowered presence of the Spirit. Paul is not calling prayer a weapon. Instead, he's was giving the how-tos to taking up the armor and described in the previous verse, the how-tos. Now we have perseverance. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance. Watchful to the end. Persevere in uh, prayer 
is to be uttered on behalf of all the saints. Not some of the saints. All the saints. Now, true prayer is the comprehensive enveloping of the whole church, including all its needs. Now, the implication is that the saints are to be deeply concerned with each other and desire to be involved with each other's lives. And it includes interceding for the personal needs of those around us. Uh, a church characterized by oneness is a praying church. Now we grow spiritually both vertically, that's our relationship with God, and horizontally with the involvement of our brothers and sisters in Christ and encouraging us to bearing us up in prayer. Now petition. Verses 19 20. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as ought to speak. In Ephesians 3 12, uh, Paul spoke about approaching God with boldness and, and access. And here he uses the same actual ter terminology to refer to the fearlessness in proclaiming the gospel. The one leads to the other. Paul is not asking for a personal confidence as he preaches for a divine infusion of strength and courage to make good, new, clear, and a powerful in every circumstance. He wants the message to be clear and powerful in every single circumstance. It's about a divine infusion of strength. Now, Go to our application. So apply now. Why? Because now you apply. Remember, we're going deep today. I like to say, take this and go. Training. So we're going to switch from old school warfare, ancient warfare, to modern warfare. If you want to complete a marathon, you have to run hundreds of miles. If you want to learn a foreign language, you have to spend time sometimes memorizing certain words and grammar. And if you want to play the piano, you have to learn uh, scales and how to read music, which I don't. And if you want to accomplish anything for God, you have to spend time with the spiritual dif disciplines, which is Bible study, prayer, church involvement, fasting, serving. Now, being a Christian is not a learned skill or discipline. It is a living relationship with our living Lord, Jesus Christ. Like any other relationship, if you want it to be deep and meaningful, beyond the superficial formalities, like, hey, it's great to see you, my church friend, and you go home and you don't have a church friend. Does that make sense? If you want a true relationship, if you're married, those who are married, you want an intimate relationship with your spouse, that means you have to talk to them. I know, crazy, right? It takes time and commitment. Do you set a time, aside time for your spiritual training? If you're going to war, guess what? You have to train. If you're going to do anything, you have to train. You go to school, guess what? For what? Training. I came here, I'm trained on to find out where the paper clips are because this place is so big. <laughs> armed and ready. Are you armed and ready? So here's a question. 
Why would Christians not want to use the full armor? What keeps them from using it? I came up with four answers. And the first one I think is the most uh, accurate one. They don't sense the danger or recognize the power of the enemy. I told you all the casualties in this war. Two, they don't have all the weapons. They have never been taught the significance and the importance of those weapons. Can't use that excuse anymore. They are untrained in the use of those weapons. Without practice, no soldier can be ready for battle. When we were going through our training in a boot camp, we're the only branch of service that shoots from the 500-yard line. They had a silhouette target. We spent two weeks doing what's called dry fire with no bullets, eight to 12 hours a day. When I was in an MMA fight, I used to train five hours a day, five days a week to go for one fight. As a pastor, I have to train all day long. As a believer in Christ, you should be doing the same. Praying without ceasing, reading the scripture, you have to do that because you're going to be attacked and you need to be ready for it. Number four, they may, they may be in a comfort zone perhaps and they are nowhere near the battle so they are somehow compromising with the enemy. Two things are here. If you're a deserter in the military, you know what happens? You go to this place called Leavenworth. It's a prison. Or you can actually be shot in sight. If you're a traitor, treason. You know what the penalty is for that? It's death. We'll see a lot of non-believers who pretend to be believers. And we've seen that in COVID, what happened. We'll see through the trials and tribulations who are the true believers. Never compromise with the enemy. It's never going to be worth it. Know your enemy. Now, we fight a spiritual battle. But we might, well, ask, who is the enemy? It's not the non-believer. Although occasionally that person might be full of evil and in rebellion against God, that he or she actually declares himself or herself an enemy of Christianity. Now, the secular media and the world systems uh, work relentlessly to undermine God's truth. And they are not the enemy either although they are often tools in their hands, the enemy is Satan because he prowls around like a roaring lion. Now, here's how the devil is actually described throughout scriptures. Forces of evil. The deceiver in Genesis chapter 3, the accuser in Zechariah chapter 3, the destroyer in 1 Peter chapter 5, the adversary for our soul and the souls of our friends and loved ones. As Paul sounded his battle call he wanted us to know whom we are fighting. Our enemy is powerful, and he is also uh, a defeated foe. As you prepare to engage in spiritual warfare, do not be intimidated by his influences. Use the full armor of God and stand together with other believers. Second to last one. Battle station. Suppose that you were in a fight to the death with someone and you held your sword in your hands. In the middle of the conflict, someone says, Look at that puny sword. 
a tiny sword. Would you drop it? You ever watch those movies when guys are shooting guns and then all of a sudden they run out and they drop the gun? I'm like, bro, that's a blunt object. What's wrong with you? So I used to watch a lot of those movies, right? And I used to yell at the screen. I'm like, what's wrong with you, bro? You would never drop your weapon in a fight. Never drop your weapon. Christians constantly surrender our weapons to the skeptical world. In verses 14 to 17, Paul describes our weaponry, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the footwear of the gospel, and the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I don't know about you, that's a pretty impressive array of weaponry. And it's made available to every person that has put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, air support. It's the last, uh, last one. Any military strategist would actually tell you that you cannot win a war without two things, ground and air. You can't, take, you can't actually take land without having boots on the ground. Those are called evangelists and missionaries. And we're missionaries to this, our area too because this is not our home. But air support gives an overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly uh, advantage to winning the war. Now, Paul describes our air support as prayer because God's army advances on their needs. It's not about theology, it's about neology. You need to be praying on a constant basis. C.S. Lewis wrote, enemy-occupied territory that is what the world is, Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Now, doesn't it make sense to make use of your air coverage, the power of prayer? Now, let's bow our heads and our hearts. Heavenly Father.